you wanted the best, you've got the best podcast. The hottest, hottest. podcast in the world. In the world. The Chris Voss Show, the preeminent podcast with guests so smart you may experience serious brain bleed. Get ready, get ready. Strap yourself in. Keep your hands, arms, and legs inside the vehicle at all times because you're about to go on a monster education roller coaster with your brain. Now, here's your host, Chris Voss. Hi, folks. It's Voss here from thechrisvossshow.com, thechrisvossshow.com. Hey, we're coming here with another great podcast. We certainly appreciate you guys tuning in. Be sure to give us a like, subscribe to us. Uh, if you want to watch the video version of this, and I'd highly recommend it, you can go to youtube.com forward slash Chris Voss, hit that bell notification button, and you can uh, take and watch a live video. It's on the internet now. It's really cool. It's the latest thing. Check it out. Um, we're not on TikTok yet because evidently they're going to pull the plug on that baby. <laughs> but, uh, you know, stay tuned. Who knows? Maybe whatever. I don't know. I don't where, I don't even know where I'm going with that whole thread. So anyway, uh, plus, uh, you can refer the show to your friends, neighbors, relatives, thecvpn.com or Chris Voss podcastnetwork.com we had a bunch of books that we were taking in uh, going through uh, with different authors and stuff that was uh, centrist from several different places. This is from Yale University Press. And uh, I saw this book and I was like, holy crap, we need to get this author on the show because this is really interesting and very topical, especially uh, with the United States going into uh, uh, re-election and some of the different news uh, things that are going on to here. But uh, we have today the, the author of Russia's Crony Capitalism, the path from market economy to kleptocracy. And I've been watching a bunch of this gentleman's videos, and they are extraordinary, i got to tell you. And the data he knows and the stuff he knows can give us a real great insight into our world, what's going on, and, and maybe some of the other news. I'm going to ask him about uh, Germany and what's going on over there. Um, his name, the author, is Dr. Anders Asland. He's a senior fellow at the Atlantic Council and adjunct professor at Georgetown University. He's a leading specialist on economic policy in Russia and Ukraine and Eastern Europe. See where we're going with this? This is going to be really interesting, folks. Dr. Aslan has served as an economic advisor to several governments, notably Russia and Ukraine. Uh, He's published widely and is the author of 15 books and edited 16 books. His most recent book, this one we'll talk about today, is The Russia's Crony Capitalism, The Path from Market Economy to Kleptocracy. Other books are Europe's Growth Challenge. Uh, Another one is Ukraine, What Went Wrong and How to Fix It. I believe I said that wrong (laughs) on Ukraine. Is it Ukraine or Ukraine? We'll get to the bottom of this because he's a professional. How Capitalism Was Built, and his books are translated into 12 different languages. He is brilliantly the professor at Stockholm School of Economics and founding director of the Stockholm Institute in Transition Economics. He worked at the Peterson Institute for International Economics, the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace, the Brookings Institute, and the Kennan Institute for Advanced Russian Studies at the Woodrow Wilson Center. He served as a Swedish diplomat in Kuwait, Poland, Geneva, Moscow. He earned his PhD from Oxford University. I think after I read all that, he's officially the smartest person who's ever been on the show. Welcome to the show, Dr. Aslan. How are you doing? 
Thank you very much, Chris. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> that's that's quite an impressive resume you got there. And 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 I've seen longer, so we could probably, you know, on your other pages, there's some longer stuff. So welcome to the show. Uh, I'm really excited to have you on because this book is really topical. And, and, and I've always found Russia and, and Putin and everything he does uh, intriguing. Uh, can you give us some dot coms or whatever you want people to check you out on the Internet and order up this book? Well, you can find uh, my books uh, on Amazon. That's the easiest way of finding them. All right. So check it out on Amazon. Uh, you can order it up, and there'll be a link on the Chris Foss show. There'll also be a link to his uh, website. Um, so, uh, Doctor, give us an overview of what this uh, book is about that you've taken and written here. Well, you can say that you have uh, two different ideas of uh, Putin. Everybody agrees that he's an authoritarian and that he wants uh, to stay in power in Russia. But then you have two different ideas. Some people uh, say that he wants to make Russia great again. My view is that he wants to make Putin richer than he ever was. That this is really a kleptocracy and uh, that uh, the idea of uh, being good nationalist is just uh, a bit of a cover-up for the the kleptocracy. Uh, What I argue in this book is that Putin is probably good for a bit more than $100 billion. That's a lot of money. And you wonder then immediately, why would anybody want that much money? It is as if you are rich and have a yacht. You don't want anybody else to have a longer yacht than you have. (laughs) So the Russians are really competing having the biggest yachts and in the same way having the biggest palaces. So Putin built for himself a palace on the Black Sea for $1 billion. And then you wonder where did he take the money? He took it uh, from... uh, the procure, state procurement for medical equipment and kept one third of the money for himself. Wow. He's done an extraordinary thing with Russia because I grew up, as you did, with the old USSR. And, you know, I, we used to hide under our wood desks thinking nuclear, you know, <laughs> nuclear bombs were going to save us from in our schools. Um, and it, it was quite extraordinary to see it go through its iterations with um, – with the different, you know, when, when, when the wall fell, democracy, and he's done, he's done, I don't know if you call it extraordinary, because that would imply there's something good about it, but he's, he's done some very interesting things with being able to monetize the old Soviet Union and, and turn it into what you call a kleptocracy, and I, I, I don't disagree with you in any way, shape, or form. Um, it's quite extraordinary what he's done. Well, uh, you can say what has been extraordinary has been that Russia became a market economy. And Mm -hmm. market economies work everywhere. And uh, uh, what has not worked so well has been with ownership. Russia today has a chronic uh, uh, capitalism. If you become uh, uh, rich, you have to obey the powers. If the powers are there, want to get uh, a few hundred million dollars of you, you had better... Uh, pay up. Otherwise, uh, uh, there's no choice but to leave the country within 48 hours, as yeah. many other rich people have done when they have uh, have refused. So, of course, this is no way for entrepreneurship. So, the rich in Russia, they today have made the money essentially on oil and uh, and metals. And what you talk about is 
he runs it. It's very interesting. It's very mob-like, and then it's kind of, uh, there's like three different ways that he runs it, and it's very mafia-like, and then and then there's like a government, and it's like a mix of several different things that he's put together in, in creating a government that sustains itself somehow. Yeah, you can say that Putin rolls through three uh, different uh, circles, as I put it in, in this book. One circle is his old friends from St. Petersburg who are in business, and they are attacking the state companies through privileged uh, state procurement uh, that cost about twice as much as they should. The second circle is state enterprise uh, man- uh, managers who are helping in tapping the state companies on money, in particular oil and gas. And then you have a third circle, the real powers. These are his old KGB chums who are sitting on security and they're essentially extorting the others. The funny thing is that they think that they're great patriots at the same time. It's, uh, as you think of the old SARS, they thought they were great patriots. They were working for the country. And, of course, they uh, were uh, the richest uh, people of the the land. It's the same. So this is very much going back to uh, uh, 18th or 19th century uh, model of uh, uh, old um, feudal rule that Putin has done. It's amazing. It's extraordinary to to think about. I mean, he basically took a lot of the uh, giant old communist USSR state properties, privatized them. But, you know, he privatized them with his own goonies, I guess. And then, of course, you know, everybody funnels money to him, you know. And just like a, just like a mafia don, everybody pays up, you know, through the, through the ranks, <laughs> like capos and everything else. It's extraordinary. And, and I watched uh, several different videos you did, the one you did for the Atlantic Council, I think it was. Um, and the amount of money that you were talking about was just, it, you just kind of go, Jesus, when is enough enough? Never. That's the fundamental insight. But look up on the same. Uh, what is enough for U.S. billionaires? They are competing. So you can see that Larry Allison of Oracle is very upset that Bezos uh, uh, is so much richer than he is. How can that be right? So they are competing in the same way. It's only that they keep more quiet about it because uh, uh, wealth in the U.S. is not so new. So therefore, people have learned how to keep quiet about it. And if you compare with continental Europe, in continental Europe, people really know how to keep quiet about the wealth. You have lots mm-hmm. of millionaires there also, but they don't uh, don't uh, show it. So the exciting thing about Russia is in this way that we can know so much. Mm-hmm. And and I think didn't Putin try to keep that Black Sea palace uh, hidden and quiet for a while? He did. And what happened there? This was in 2010. It was that a minor. A partner of his, one of his uh, slaves who did the job and probably just got a few hundred million dollars. He uh, wanted to retire. And you know, uh, Chris, in this business, you don't retire. Take some on. He realized that um, they were about to put uh, drugs in his cars. 
and uh, uh, sue him up in prison for a suitable number of years. So then he fled the country. Mm. And he took uh, pictures with him and he took documents with him and he showed uh, what was actually being done. So this is one of the main sources to how Putin actually does business. And this chap, Sergei Kolesnikov was his uh, name, he uh, was involved in 32 offshore companies in which Putin had ownership. Wow. Now, is that the one gentleman, uh, I might get in, get in mixed up, but there was one gentleman who was jailed for a short time or for a year or two, and then he was finally was able to get released to Europe, I think it was. He was a billionaire. I think he had oils. You're probably thinking of Sergei Pogacov, the banker, who was close to Putin. It's about the same time. He left around 2010. But um, Pogacov was never sufficiently close to Putin, and uh, uh, he had uh, billions of dollars. And uh, then Putin thought that uh, one of uh, his closer friends uh, was more worthy of these billions. So Pugachev lost it uh, to Arkady Rothenberg, who's uh, one of Putin's uh, uh, right-hand men, because they did judo when they were 12 years old. I mean, you must respect your old friends. The longer you have known them, the better they are. If you are competent uh, or smart, doesn't matter. They have to be close to you, and you must trust them. This is how Putin has built up his system, and he lets these people run with, uh, uh, essentially, run the state, and then you don't get a very efficient state. Yeah, and what's what's interesting is you you were talking in in, and I believe you talk about this in the book uh, about how he has that close circle of people that he grew up with from like you know, 12 years old or something. And yeah. he parks money with them, like 500 million each that he has that they just hold for him. Um, it was quite extraordinary to see the numbers that you were talking about. Cause I was just like, you know, the guy's pretty old. Like if he goes to, I don't know, McDonald's every day and I don't know, just throws money out. He probably can never get use, use it or get rid of it enough. But I guess if you're an autocrat, You've got to save money for a rainy day when they run you out of the country or, I don't know, you know. Uh, we just saw the King of Spain take off, and I think it was the King of Spain. He just took off and was like, I'm out. Well, he had a few scandals, and, of course, uh, Spain is dem- uh, democratic, so therefore it's a, it's a much uh, worse. But uh, uh, Putin, uh, uh, it's, as I discussed in the book, he has been, first he has this group of uh, four close friends who are multi-billionaires, each of them. Then he has a circle of lesser friends who have only half a billion dollars each. And then he has uh, uh, four cousins that he has also given half a billion dollars each, just in case. So that uh, clearly Putin doesn't uh, feel safe at all. As a good dictator, he is suitably paranoid. Uh, if you really want to stay a, a, a dictator, you'd better be paranoid, because <laughs> otherwise somebody will take you out. So Putin is paranoid, and therefore he has these uh, three completely different circles of uh, uh, people. And the funniest thing is one of these uh, childhood uh, friends, he's uh, a butcher in St. Petersburg and happens oh. to have half a billion dollars, but he has got essentially through getting stocks in companies cheaply, 
you get them for one cent and sell them for 30 cents. That's wow. how Putin does uh, business. That's called stock m- manipulation. And uh, it's not really illegal in Russia. So how can we complain? Yeah. And now he's made it so that he can pretty much rule Russia indefinitely, I think, into 2030 or something like that. 2036. 2036, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow. Quite extraordinary. Do you think that uh, Donald Trump seems to have a real, like he really likes uh, Putin. And sp- some people think it's because he's got something on him or because there's so much money that went through him from Russian uh, money laundering. But maybe he just really loves Putin's model and dreams that he could somehow achieve it. He, he certainly loves China's uh you know, leader who was just given a lifetime appointment? Well, uh, I think that there are several elements to it. Uh, one is that uh, Trump simply likes dictators. As he said about uh, Egypt's president, uh, Al-Sisi, he's my favorite uh, dictator, and that he said publicly. <laughs> and uh, obviously, the Saudi leaders, in particular this uh, truly awful crown prince, uh, Mohammed bin Salman, uh, who's a real dictator, is one uh, of his and Jared Kushner's uh, favorite. Um, and then uh, Ben Putin. And all these are strict authoritarians. Uh, uh, and uh, you mentioned Xi Jinping of uh, China. The same, same thing. It has nothing to do with national interests. It's nothing to do with values, or rather it has uh, to do with having new values rather than you want as much power as possible. And in these cases... You always ask, are there any particular financial issues? And what we do know about Trump is that he got uh, a a bit more than $50 million extra pay for building his sold to a Russian oligarch in uh, uh, Palm Beach in 2008. $50 million. It's quite a substantial amount of money if you're nearly a, a billionaire. And also Reuters has written substantially about how Trump sold uh, uh, 700 apartments uh, uh, on Sunny Island in uh, southern Florida to uh, to, uh, unknown companies. Yeah. The, it's interesting the, uh, how he idolized them, and, and they were talking about trying to do a Trump Tower if he, if he lost the presidency. Um, so what, it's interesting to me because I remember someone writing when the wall fell down, uh, and, and they were writing about how everyone was celebrating the fall of the, the Berlin Wall, and they're like, oh, it's so great, this is so wonderful. And I remember somebody wrote, uh, you, can, you can say that it's wonderful, but there's a great tragedy of life that has happened here. There's people who've been robbed of a quality of life, of, 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 uh, of being able to have freedoms and do whatever they want in the old Soviet Russia for, I guess, what, 60 years or something, 70 years under, un, under all that rule. Um, who, who pays the price for all that? It seems like the Russians do do a little bit better under a market economy, I guess you would call it. Um, you know, they're not as oppressed and living in bread lines like they were in the old USR, SSR. But um, do, do you ever see a point where Putin could be overthrown by his own people? Or is there, does he just have too much control to even have that happen? Yeah, sure. Uh, Russia is not that uh, 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 oppressive a society. If you think of it, Turkey has at times 
a mm. few tens of thousands of people arrested. Uh, uh, Russia, according to the best human rights group in Russia, Memorial, has 250 political prisoners. It's hmm. not much. So the Russian system more functions like this. You never know if you behave sufficiently badly, you might be killed. Yeah. Many people have been, but it's not many people who get killed together. Very few get real prison sentences, but it is a complete legal uncertainty. If you misbehave, you can lose out. If you take, uh, for example, this uh, courageous uh, journalist, uh, Anna Politkovskaya, or mm. my good friend, uh, Boris Nemtsov, who was uh, shot outside of the Kremlin in 2015. Oh, yeah. In both these cases, people fought for years. Uh, how dare they? They won't they will be killed. And they were killed. It, it's extraordinary to me. I see some of the politicians that have tried to run against Putin that always get jailed and they've gotten poisoned and uh, then they keep fighting. And, and it's a real, it's an interesting thing to watch that type of human nature because I ask myself, would I be that brave? You know, would I, <laughs> you know, um, I think, I don't know who it was that told me this, but it was kind of funny. They said, they said in Russia, you pay extra for the bottom floor as opposed for the penthouse because you don't fall off the windows of the bottom floor. I don't know if that's your <laughs> Is it interesting? Well, uh, uh, on the bottom floor, you can have problems <laughs> with the burglars. <laughs> so that's another. Um, oh, oh, that's another thing. All right, well, you get the burglars. Because a lot of people seem to fall off balconies and off second floors there in all Russia. Yeah, I mean, it is uh, uh, not, not only a joke, it is a reality. So for wow. example, four doctors now have complained about how Russia has mishandled the coronavirus, have fallen out from fourth and fifth floors from hospitals and died. I think they do that on purpose, too. I mean, that's like a mafia thing. Like, mafia, the mafia used to kill people in a certain way uh, if you were a snitch there were certain ways they would kill you. So when they found you, you know, they'd find your tongue cut out or, you know, some sort of other thing. Um, and they would be like, Oh, he snitched. That's why they whacked him. Um, in, in fact, I, I believe some, uh, uh, up in Canada, Putin just tried to send some mercenaries to take out someone in Canada and the Canadians either caught him or stopped it. Aren't you thinking of this? It was Mohammed bin Salman who was uh, wanting to take out. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. Am I thinking of MLB? Or, yeah. Yeah. They're yeah. similar. Okay. Yeah. Well, I get my authoritarians mixed up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's not one this week. Uh, what was even extraordinary was the brazen ones that, that Putin did in uh, England, where he, you know, he, they took in the toxin and, uh, and poisoned people. This is just crazy man yeah and when you ask russian foreign policy uh, specialist uh, why do they do this mm. and uh, it was also here in washington in 2015 a former minister of uh, information who had mm. clearly gone over to the other side was killed in a, in a hotel in the center of washington and when you ask the russians uh, why do you do this they say well, uh, because we can. And uh, our relationship with uh, the U.S. and Britain is so bad in any case. It doesn't really cost anything. Hmm. 
And and a lot of people say, I mean, Russia's main thing is they're they're just a, basically a giant gas station, right? With gas and oil. Yeah, but at the same time, you have always in Russia strong intelligentsia. Mm-hmm. You have a good high tech business. Of a big threat of a high tech business is. Uh, uh, the lack of uh, freedom, so that uh, many of these people have developed first, and uh, now they are in Silicon Valley and uh, at Microsoft in uh, in Seattle. So uh, you have many thousand, perhaps uh, uh, more than one hundred thousand Russian computer specialists in the U.S. because they are uh, they are outstanding, uh, and. Uh, uh, Russia is wasting its, it's great uh, talent in, in this fashion. But uh, mm. the Russian search engine Yandex is uh, rather better than uh, Google, I would argue. Mm. Uh, so uh, now the state has more or less taken control over it, but it used yeah. to be a, a fully private uh, company. And uh, now I presume that it will uh, decline but it has really been an outstanding company for about 20 years. Yeah. And there used to be the old saying in Russia, the, the TV watches you now it's the internet watches you. And, and I believe if I recall rightly, the story on, on them taking over the internet was so they can create something much like what China has, where they have their own firewall and their own kind of private cutoff or, or the ability to cut off the internet uh, from the outside world. Yeah, but here again, the Russian internet specialists say uh, they can't do it. Uh, they, they oh, that's right. Of, uh, <clears throat> of escaping. So Russia uh, is uh, lagging too far behind. Uh, they did not do it early enough so that they can do what uh, China uh, did. Uh, the Russian internet specialists are very good. So they use all kinds of uh, uh, tricks so that they can uh, o- operate uh, in- internationally. So the Russian internet uh, is quite free, but there's an enormous amount of uh, disinformation. So mm-hmm. when they can't control it, they can try to cheat you instead. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I think you spoke in your book about how uh, he owns uh, one of his cronies owns most all of i think 20 of the 22 tv stations yeah so they can control the airwaves the narrative the news whatever they want yeah so uh, russia is much more about uh, manipulation of information and uh, uh, cheating you disinformation uh, than about uh, stopping information and Mm -hmm. then you don't really know if you're not uh, 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 really knowledgeable what is true and what is not true. Hmm. So therefore, Russians who deal with this are extremely good at uh, figuring out what is true and what is untrue. Yeah. The, um, so Russia, I think it just got reported today, Russia and China again are trying to spew dif- disinformation again into our election and everything else. They're playing those cards. Um, and in I, and it's interesting to me that they're not really – it doesn't seem like Putin is looking to overthrow us. I think there's an old Russian saying about how – maybe it was Brezhnev who said it will destroy America from within. It will destroy itself rather than us destroying it. We just, you know, got to throw disinformation at it. Yeah, and no, I think that uh, what uh, Putin understands very well, it is war is expensive. 
Yeah. So you don't want to waste too large resources on, uh, uh, on war. Disinformation uh, is cheap. Cyber is very cheap. Not to mention uh, uh, assassinations. So mm-hmm. Putin is uh, doing things that uh, we think but that is not allowed. And Putin says, do something about it. And we don't. And then he co- continues doing those things because they are cheap. And... Um, of course, the Russians are very good on the internet. So why not uh, exploit the internet um, extraordinarily as they have done? So we should expect uh, much more of that, and a, a cyber attack. So all these things is uh, what we should expect. And if you think of it, um, a U.S. election campaign costs about $6 billion through a few hundred million dollars into it as you are allowed to do today in the U.S., because dark money is allowed since this verdict uh, of 2010 on Citizens United that allow dark money. So then you can tip the balance, and uh, that can be done pretty legally. And, of course, you can do it illegally also. So I think that uh, the danger of dark money in the U.S. is enormous. I think it's a big also in in Canada. I know that you have serious concerns in Vancouver, in particular about Chinese money coming into the real estate. So it's China and Russia that are doing the same things, and they know how to operate in dark money sphere. And you and I, we are no good at that. That's not our profession. Yeah. And it's been interesting how he's been able to play on the stupidity of people, the ignorance, um, the prejudice of people, uh, the, to watching the 2016 election and what people bought. You know, even now they're they're running campaigns to to uh, turn people against each other over masks and what the COVID-19 is. Um, and it, it is extraordinary to watch Putin's um, his behavior, his interest in this. Because to me, I mean, I mean, maybe it's just me, but I'm not a authoritarian, paranoid, narcissistic dictator. Um, at least last time I checked my bank account. Um, <laughs> <laughs> off to check again after this. Um, it is I would just be like, hey, I'm not going to screw with anybody because I don't want to be screwing up my little gig I got going over here. So I'm just going to try and get along and keep all my money. You know what I mean? But uh so what do you I'm you're familiar with what's going on in Ukraine cuz you're an Ukraine uh pro and and you have a lot of experience over there. Um did, is he going to fully ever take Ukraine or is he just going to keep being an antagonist? Uh, I think that uh, the, the ideal for Putin is uh, that the regime falls into his lap uh, without him having to do anything much militarily. So that uh, he does a little bit militarily. Crimea was a special thing. Crimea to the Russians, that was the Soviet holiday paradise lost because the Russians don't have much of uh, holiday paradises uh, given that the country is quite northern and doesn't have a, uh, that much of the uh, seashore. Uh, so, so this they really wanted. Nobody wants Donbass. Donbass is a rust belt. Uh, so it's more who would like to fight for Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, uh, <laughs> not uh, an obvious uh, uh, attraction. So mm-hmm. uh, I think that he has got stuck there. And that his real interest is to stabilize, to destabilize the Ukrainian government, make it dependent on him, 
And uh, I talked to um, a friend of mine who had been a deputy minister in a couple of ministries uh, uh, several years ago. And I asked him about uh, one of his colleagues, uh, why he behaved like that. And they looked uh, at me as an agent. Don't you understand that he's a Russian agent? And I said, no. Uh, And, well, uh, he explained, uh, one-tenth of our senior officials used to report to the KGB. They still do, but they don't uh, report to the Ukrainian SB. They report to the Russian FSB. Yes. So you have all these Russian agents all around. And there are a lot of uh, bomb attempts in Ukraine. Normally, nobody is being killed. But bombs mm. go off. I mean, the scores of bombs. And why? Well, in order to keep people on the toes. Yeah, keep people on the edge. people, then it becomes news. If you don't kill people, it doesn't become news. Uh, then it's uh, just the uh, local news that... Uh, People know that they uh, should be uh, scared. So I think that uh, we are likely to see a lot of this. And also Ukraine has prohibited Russian television. What happens? Various Russian uh, agents have bought Ukrainian television channels. So about North uh, Ukrainian television is now uh, pro-Russian. So uh, and they have to clean this up. But it's very difficult if you have a lot of infiltration and yeah. uh, if you have a lot of uh, corruption uh, that works for the Russian. So the way of uh, cleaning it up is transparency, 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 open, open up. And, of course, you need more money. Yeah. So was our greatest mistake then make, uh, taking, you know, making sure that they weren't nuclear, even though they were in NATO? And, and not letting them have nuclear weapons, would that, would that have held uh, him at bay? Ukrainians think so. If you ask yeah. Western, as I say, that the Ukrainians did not have control over the nuclear arms in any case. Mm-hmm. That was uh, not an option. Ukrainians think that they got a terrible deal and mm-hmm. uh, that they were not even paid properly for the, the, the nuclear uh, nuclear uh, arms, uh, but uh, there should have been proper security guarantees. Mm. Uh, uh, and this is a linguistic matter. The U.S. provided Ukraine with uh, security assurances. In Russian and Ukrainian, assurances and guarantees are the same word. So they thought that they had a guarantee. And then the Americans tell them, sorry, you only had assurances, not a guarantee. Wow. And uh, in the U.S. Uh, legal terms, it means that, uh, it didn't go through the Senate, then it's not a full uh, commitment. The Ukrainians find it rather difficult to appreciate such a point. What's extraordinary, and, and I talked about this when a lot of people did when, when Trump was first elected, was that, you know, Trump Trump eats the checkers Well, Putin plays, you know, three-dimensional chess. And it, it seems like Putin definitely has control over Trump's brain because, I mean, recently we pulled uh, troops, we're pulling troops out of Germany, which is going to be scary. 
Yeah, I mean, this is something that needs to be clarified. I recently read John Bolton's memoir about his time in the White House, and he's very careful not to say anything about what, what drives Trump with regard to Russia, while Bolton disagreed on every single point that Trump was giving in to Russia. So this is a serious point uh, to, to investigate. I'm not going to say more, but uh, it's a really dubious. Yeah, I read his book as well. Um, do, so do I need to worry about Germany uh, being invaded or run over? I mean, I think, I don't know what Germany's army situation is on their own. I'm not even sure they need to defend them, but just as a checkpoint, I know that Russia makes a lot of, is, you know, they've got a good deal now with the uh, gas pipeline, I guess, going in there. Well, I, I, I don't think that we need to be worried about uh, uh, Russia going into a NATO country. The point about uh, Ukraine and Georgia is that they are not uh, members of NATO, so there is no security guarantee from the West uh, to them while they have extensive cooperation with, with NATO. But the Baltic countries are full-fledged members of, uh, of NATO, not to mention uh, Germany, and the Russians... Although they do exercises for big wars, they are afraid of it because they know that it costs a, a lot of money. But there is a fundamental imbalance. Russia and the U.S. have 95% of all the nuclear arms mm -hmm. in the world. Britain and France have a little bit. Germany mm -hmm. has nothing. So uh, uh, Russia could... In certain situations, and also that they can use uh, uh, nuclear blackmail against mm. non-nuclear uh, countries in in Europe. But uh, I'm much more worried about uh, the former Soviet uh, republics and what is happening on the in the Balkans. We saw in 2018 that the Russian military intelligence that tried to carry out a coup in Montenegro. Fortunately, it was revealed in time and nothing happened. But um, this is a soft underbelly of Europe. That's dangerous. And we've already seen what's happened in Ukraine and Georgia. It's, it's interesting to me. Did Putin learn from the Afghan war as how costly that was for Russia and how damaging it was on so many different levels? Is that why he learned, you know, don't spend money on real wars? Do disinformation wars, break down a country, destroy a country from within, take it apart, send in the agents and all that stuff. Yeah, I think that uh, he has a good understanding of uh, what makes sense uh, mm -hmm. economically in war. And if you think of it today, a modern fighter plane costs $100 million. Yeah. And how much does a drone cost? Well, uh, a few hundred thousand dollars. So why not have good drones uh, uh, instead of uh, fi fighter planes? So I think that we are uh, moving towards uh, a different kind of uh, technology, uh, but we have these big airplane producers. They want to con continue producing their expensive uh, planes while the military might uh, benefit from uh, a, a very different uh, uh, kind of uh, armament. It's like um, tanks. Tanks used to be the dominant feature. Now it's a, it costs so little to take them out with a, a simple tank shot. So why not uh, anti-tank uh, 
uh, weapons. So why not uh, uh, do it? Uh, I think that we are really about to see a fundamental change in uh, war economy, military yeah. economy. And I think that uh, the U.S. is far behind having all, uh, too much money and therefore these very expensive systems. While the Russians realize that they don't have so much money, so therefore they are using their uh, resources much more cleverly. So, for example, the Russian special forces are outstanding and wow. uh, at the level of the best in the world, as the U.S. seems and um, uh, probably still the, the British and French special forces, but it's only a few countries that have really good special forces. And that turns out to be modern technology, what we thought was old technology, mm. while the expensive armament seemed to be losing out. And what's funny is he's taking us apart. I mean, we, the, it seems like the Russians, especially, I guess, the way... Putin is lying because everything flows through and and from him. Um, he can have a singular focus on what he wants to destroy and, and any different country and spreading disinformation and destabilizing them uh, from within. Um, and he's got us all fighting each other and going against each other. I imagine the same thing happened in Ukraine or is still happening, I think, in Ukraine where everyone's fighting in, with each other and and just more and more you know, it destabilizes to a point that it's very easy for for uh, him to possibly take over. I believe he was behind a lot of the Brexit information, um, and I think now, like even there's there's so many there's so much of it going on in Europe that is crazy, the dark money and stuff. Yeah, but uh, also it is a great weakness. Uh, uh, as we do know that all of these decisions about Russian activities abroad, they do go up to Putin himself. If Putin mm -hmm. doesn't make a decision, it doesn't happen. So the, the big thing was uh, at the beginning of this year, Putin was focused on two stupid things. One was to change the constitution so that he could be reelected until 2036 uh, with a referendum on the 22nd of April. And the second was uh, a victory march on the 9th of May. And because of the coronavirus, neither of these events happened on time. And Putin got very distressed and therefore acted approximately like Donald Trump, didn't do anything about the coronavirus for weeks. Mm -hmm. And this has caused Russia, uh, now being one of the countries that has been uh, worst uh, hit after the US, Brazil and India uh, by the coronavirus, simply because uh, Putin was not awake, so to say. And right mm -hmm. now we are seeing massive popular unrest in Khabarovsk in the far east, and Putin doesn't do anything. It uh, seems as if he's not awake. And um, uh, these are peaceful uh, mass movements with 50,000 people out in the, in the street. And Putin just uh, doesn't do anything uh, sensible. So with the, that degree of uh, centralization, you make mistakes. Hmm. And I've been watching that. I've been kind of interested between Brazil, Putin, and uh, Donald Trump, it's been interesting to watch where how much people can take before they finally break. And I, I saw, I've been seeing the um, protests here, speaking of in, in uh, Russia, and I'm like, hmm, what if those will get big enough to actually overthrow him or, or, or do whatever? He has a very interesting way of dealing with people. I've seen the Russian, they have those Russian uh, goons that go in and whack people and stuff. They're like 
they're not like secret police. They're kind of like little gang dudes, sort of <laughs> like the the poor boys or something. It's quite extraordinary. And and when you look at the map of where our country's going, what its future is going to be, uh, there's a lot riding on what we're doing uh, here uh, coming up in three months. And of course, what Donald Trump would do if he leaves office, if we continue <laughs> sort of democratic thing, uh, mm. if he wins re-election, holy crap! I don't, I don't know where we're going to be if he wins a re-election. It's going to be scary. Yeah, but uh, Putin also he has been in power for twenty years. He yeah. looks tired. It doesn't look old, but he looks older. But he looks bored massively bored mm. and he sits in all these meetings and he makes uh, speeches where you feel that he uh, do I really have to give a speech uh, can't I fall asleep instead so he's uh, well it uh, looks as if he's in physical very good uh, shape uh, after all his uh, 67 years old and being there for 20 years, they think that is so much smarter than all the other international leaders because they uh, are new, newcomers. Uh, but uh, his population are pretty tired of him. And in a recent uh, trust rating, he was down to 23%. Hmm. If you ask uh, uh, the popularity rating, then he's still around 65%. But Trump, mm. that's what it eventually uh, comes down to. And um, uh, Putin has very badly suffered from uh, the coronavirus uh, crisis, where he was simply passive. Uh, now he is uh, quite cautious. But uh, his prime minister and three ministers and his press spokesman have all got COVID-19 themselves. Yeah. So yeah. they were very uncautious. Now I saw, for example, today, Putin was having a meeting with his security council, and then Putin sits in his dacha outside of Moscow with a wall of television screens where he has all the other members of um, of uh, the security uh, council and he looks utterly bored <laughs> so is that dangerous do you think he's he could get bored enough to make a move on something like finish off ukraine or start something or is he just going to keep playing the smart three-dimensional chess card well i think that we're seeing more that he is not doing what he should have done i mean he did not uh, uh, act on the coronavirus in mm. time and therefore Russia is now in a, a bad shape. Unlike, for example, Ukraine that acted uh, early and uh, took serious measures of the whole of Central uh, Central Europe. And uh, he generally seems as if he doesn't want to make uh, any decisions with regard to money. He's just hoarding money. Russia is not spending a lot uh, in order to balance the crisis. Uh, uh, real uh, incomes in Russia have fallen mm. for seven years in a row now. Wow. And they fall by uh, two and a half percent a year on average. I mean, you can't go on like this. So yeah. the question is when the reality ca uh, catches up uh, with them and that people see uh, that we can't go on like uh, this any longer, that there is an alternative. And Russians are brave. Do you, what would it take to overthrow Putin? I mean, does does you do you have to have a whole Russian revolution, and uh, you know, how crazy does it need to be? Or I mean, you certainly can't 
you know, just not vote for him. That's... <laughs> well, the, the standard thing is, uh, I discuss it in my book at the end of it. Uh, there are three ways, essentially normally they come together. One is if you have, uh, if you are overextended abroad. And Russia is now involved in a lot of military actions abroad. So mm-hmm. even if they are cautious financially, this might be too much. And it can be, uh, after all, the war in Afghanistan only cost 15,000 young men their lives, which wow. is not all that much. But it was a very serious uh, reason why the Soviet Union uh, uh, the other reason is that people get upset because they see that the government doesn't solve this problem. That's what we are seeing now in a number of local protests for various reasons, mainly on the periphery of Russia, not in the center. And uh, then the third, that's when the chips are down, when the people, the security people say, you're not performing well enough. You're stealing too much. We, of course, steal also, but we don't steal as much as you do. So it's better mm-hmm. to, uh, that we take over the power. This is that would be kind of interesting. Like when the army takes over Egypt, you know, all the time. Yeah, but there it would be the old KGB friends of Putin mm-hmm. from St. Petersburg. Uh, who are of the same age, and they say, you're not performing enough. You have these other friends of yours from St. Petersburg who are stealing billions. We are only stealing hundreds of millions. Uh, Mm. So we are much more honest uh, than uh, your other friends. So now we take you out. This is what we can never know until it happens. I imagine Putin doesn't ever get near windows on upper levels. You can trust him. He has an enormous uh, convoy of cars when, when he's yeah. uh, 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 going to the Kremlin, which he does very seldom. He stays in his uh, dacha in Nova Agariova, a bit outside of Moscow. I thought I saw a picture of like an entrance to where he stays, and it, it it's a, like a hazmat sort of setup that you go through to get to him or something. I don't know if it was a real picture because I'm like, I don't know anybody about that picture, but. Um, Evidently, you know, he's quite protected. He's like Trump. It's like really extraordinary to me that that uh, we just had like the Ohio governor was going to meet him had uh, and had COVID. Like no one can get, you know, no one can get near him with COVID. But he definitely wants your kids to go to school. Um, do you see? Do you see a lot of Putin authoritarian in Trump so far? I think yeah, that uh, Trump really loves Putin and that mm-hmm. he really. Uh, sucks up to him. But think of it also that Putin is a very good influence agent. That's his original profession. And uh, George W. Bush loved Putin. Mm -hmm. And he uh, he saw Putin's soul through his eyes and all kinds of nonsense. So he really knows how to put put up a show. And Of course, uh, Trump said all these things from the beginning, yeah. uh, before he had uh, met him. But uh, Putin has these skills, it's great personality skills. He has emotional intelligence. Yeah, I mean, he, he probably is very well read, knows history, and, you know, everything from the KGB, where Trump uh, is still eating the checkers pretty much at this point. Yeah, I hear from people who see that Putin are not very prominent, and they're amazed that Putin has studied their dossier before and mm-hmm. poses personal questions to them. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. He's it, he's an interesting character to look at. I mean, whether you look at him as good or evil, there's there's definitely something very complex and sophisticated about what he does um and how he is and I suppose you would have to have some th- some of that too to uh, what's the longest any one uh person has ruled? I I I guess they're has ruled Russia. Is he getting close to the longest running dictator or authoritarian of Russia? Well, we have uh, Stalin, who sat from 1928 to 1953. Okay. So uh, that's five years to go, if I get it right. So um, he's probably... He has overtaken uh, 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 Brezhnev, who only sat from 1964 until uh, 1982. Mm-hmm. So uh, that uh, he, he did in the last two years, overtake uh, uh, Brezhnev. But uh, this is a long period. Yeah. Is it is it maybe that the Russian people are just more used to this sort of abuse than we are? Well, I think simply that there is a massive concentration of uh, of uh, power, mm-hmm. and uh, if you think of the Kremlin, if you yeah. sit in the Kremlin, then you feel that you are the ruler. So, mm-hmm. if, if Russia is to be uh, uh, become a democracy, the Kremlin has to become a museum. Yes. Most interesting. So, uh, so this has been interesting. I, it, the book is really intriguing. Uh, the 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 interviews I was watching was was intriguing as well, and how he has built this and everything else. And you really get a picture of of Putin and and uh, and his setup. And th- this guy's no bumbling idiot. You know, he's not. He he might be one of the most smartest dictators in the world. Maybe next to the Chinese uh, leader. Um, just extraordinarily smart and extraordinarily dangerous. Like, I would never want to piss him off. Yeah, but think of it. Uh, uh, Russia has been stagnant economically for the last decade. Mm-hmm. China has been growing uh, uh, at a very high speed, about 8% a year. So mm-hmm. Putin doesn't deliver for his people. This is what ultimately will break him. It was interesting, too, the uh, the Saudi Arabia-Russia um price war they had where where it, it they kind of made it smart for for putin didn't they on the on the on the pricing where they 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 got into a big deal with uh, opec and stuff yeah i think that uh, this was uh, one of putin's right hand men uh, the head of rosneft the former kgb person who uh, uh, just did this for his own sake, and he didn't think of uh, oh, uh, the Russia's uh, na- national interest, and then Putin had to pick up the p- pieces. But then Putin very cleverly utilized it to improve his relations further with Trump. He mm-hmm. had five phone calls with Trump about the oil prices and uh, with, uh, with the Saudis. So uh, Putin is very interested in being at the center of international politics. And this crisis helped him to get in there, even wow. if Russia lost economically. Can you imagine what he's going to do if Trump wins for four years? I mean, he's already played into Trump's head and probably has enough games going inside there. Another four years and holy crap, man. He'd just, he'd just be like, hey, why don't you sign over the deed in America to me? Just go ahead and sign it over, baby. And he'll just be like, okay. Well, I, I'm not sure that the Russians are really that uh, happy with, with Trump yeah. because uh, he's too unpredictable. 
the Russians like it, things that are predictable. They're happy to be unpredictable themselves, but mm-hmm. they don't want others to be unpredictable. So, for example, Putin has wanted a new START agreement. Mm-hmm. Trump couldn't care less. Mm-hmm. And uh, Russia is not... Uh, uh, adverse to uh, a climate change agreement. They are part of a, of a, uh, of a Paris uh, agreement uh, on climate uh, control. And they are in the Iran agreement. And uh, Trump has said no to, to all of it. So uh, it's good for them that uh, Trump destroys the West yeah. in the U.S., but uh, it's not uh, good for them that we have nobody that we can really negotiate. Because yeah. Trump seems to be unable to negotiate with anybody. <laughs> not least the U.S. Congress. Part of the deal is just a fictional book <laughs> on him. Like he, he couldn't negotiate his way out of a paper bag. Um, <laughs> and and you see him coming. He's he's like this bumbling, loud, drunk that you see coming and, and you're just like, yeah, whatever, man. And uh, it, it's really scary. Was even scariest to watch um, in with Trump and not caring about the rest of the world, literally Russia and, and China are cutting up South Africa right now for resources, power control. Mm. Um, you see those Russian mercs that are going in now to South, South African governments and stuff. It's really interesting. They're just like taking over the country. Yeah, and uh, we are seeing that the U.S. is just uh, departing everywhere. In Libya is uh, uh, yeah. the most uh, scary example where they are really fighting, and uh, the U.S. is absent. Uh, yeah. I also, say in Ukraine, the U.S. is absent. Uh, yeah. There are uh, four hundred U.S. military trainers there, but yeah. uh, uh, the U.S. government. Uh, has uh, no role because there's no policy. And it's yeah. pretty much the same almost everywhere, apart from where uh, Trump has uh, some specific view uh, uh, of the other. As on uh, in Germany, for example, where he's against everybody. I think, I think, God, if he got another four years, he'd pull us out of NATO and Putin would yeah. throw a party. Yeah, and you see, uh, uh, Bolton reports... Um, from the NATO summit, that uh, they were all afraid that Trump would actually do what he talked privately. That's right. The, the, the U.S. out of NATO, and then in the end, uh, it fortunately didn't happen. But uh, it, it's not good that uh, a U.S. president has this power. The checks and balances need to be uh, restored in the U.S. And it's been amazing that the GOP has just been like, whatever. And, and they've actually got a lot of money, the dirty deals with uh, McConnell, and that one um, oligarch from Russia over the, I think it's an aluminum factory or uh, some sort of metallic alloy uh, in Kentucky. And you, and you, then you saw the money of the Russian flow through the NRA in 2016. It's just crazy how they're just infiltrated. And we just go, okay, we'll sell out America for some cash. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's been pretty interesting. Uh, I, I really highly recommend people check out the book. Anything more we need to know about the book and what you're doing? No, I mean, the, the, the big point about my book, Russia's uh, uh, Crony Capitalist, that is uh, how uh, the corrupt system in Russia really functions, how Putin and his friends are tapping the big state companies on uh, money. And my assessment is that we are doing it to the tune of 
10-15 billion dollars a year and have done so from 2006 and they take the money out. So it's all in the offshore. So what the best thing we can do is to clean up the, the offshore. And the offshore is primarily in Britain in the US. And uh, because that's where you can keep uh, anonymous companies of uh, a, a massive scale. And uh, the European Union has already uh, decided to prohibit uh, anonymous companies. Mm -hmm. uh, it's in the U.S. defense bill now, so it can happen in the U.S. also. Mm -hmm. This is the most important foreign policy measure against uh, Russia. Yeah, I think it was the Canary Papers. Am I thinking the right? The what was the papers that uh, were down in the Cayman Islands and stuff? The Panama Papers. The Panama Papers, yeah. Yeah, in 2016 that came out. And then it turned out that uh, this uh, cellist, uh, childhood friend of uh, Putin, uh, Sergei Roldugin, held more than $2 billion of Putin money. Yeah, it's just extraordinary. You yeah. think about what these people, what, what, uh, that, if that money had gone to the Russian people, what kind of better lives they would have, et cetera, et cetera. Because it's big money. Yeah. But it's, I suppose it's up to them to really claim it. But it's, it's really interesting. I mean, you really look at Putin, and that is one complex, sophisticated dude and, uh, and, and ruthless, too. I mean, just viciously ruthless. Um, Think of it. Half the world approximately is run by kleptocrats. Yeah. People who are uh, just sitting there, uh, the whole of the Middle East, uh, much of Africa, uh, much of, uh, of well, the whole of the former Soviet Union, really. Uh, and they are just sitting there collecting money. Wow. And in order to keep the money, they keep the money abroad because if they lose power and the money is in the country, they will lose it also. So they want to keep the money abroad as a reassurance on, on their power. It's really interesting how we play that game. We support it with, by letting them park the money and then, yeah. Anyway, guys, uh, be sure to check out uh, Anders' book. Uh, you can get it on Amazon. It's Russia's Crony Capitalism, The Path from Market Economy to Kleptocracy. He lays out the whole pattern of and, and system that, that Putin uses. And it's quite extraordinary. And to me, you know, like I say, whether you judge these things as good and evil, you know, a lot of people will just be like, well, that guy's a bad guy. But when you when you really look at the extraordinary stuff that they do, that's very complex and you, you, you get to know your enemy a little bit better and how there's probably no way they could have any, like, I, I really don't think he has any good intentions for America. I don't think he has a good intentions for Trump. Um, I don't know. Maybe there's a PP tape in Russia running around somewhere. Who knows? <laughs> but uh, it's quite extraordinary. So thank you for coming on the show. We certainly appreciate it, Anders. Uh, and uh, uh, there'll be links to get the book on the Uh To my audience, you can watch the video version of this at youtube.com. Fortress Chris Voss. Hit that bell notification button. Tell your friends, neighbors, relatives to go to the ECVPN.com. Uh, and, uh, of course, uh, Watch for other great interviews of wonderful authors, brilliant ideas and concepts on the com. Be safe, everyone, and uh, wear your masks. We'll see you next time. Thank you very much, Chris. It was a great pleasure.